Once again, we want to welcome everyone here to our assembly this morning as we have gathered together as the people of God to honor Him, as we have opened our hearts and opened our minds and our lips and offered our praise and adoration to Him as we have encouraged one another in all of those activities of the morning so far. I appreciate uh, Brother Matthew and his uh, leading us in songs this morning and helping us to think about spiritual things and helping us to think about our great God and helping us to think about all that he has done for us. And hopefully in that last song that we just sung, hopefully all of us sitting here in the audience this morning can say that things are well with us, that things are well with our soul, that things are good between us and our great God. And we can do that as we sung in that song by remembering uh, what Jesus has done for us upon the cross in carrying and taking our sins away and taking that burden away from us and also remembering in that last verse that he is coming again to gather those that are his to be at home with him forevermore. And for all of that, we ought to have peace and joy within our hearts this morning. If you're, you cannot say that about yourself, I hope that you will seriously consider where you stand with God and consider your need for him and that there might be something that we could say today that would turn you in that direction, that would give you the motivation that you need to make your life right with Him. And if you have any questions about what you need to do to enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, I would be happy to talk with you. There would be a number of brethren that know the Scriptures well in this congregation that would be happy to sit down and to discuss God's Word with you and how you can be saved from your sins, and you can be reconciled to your heavenly Father. One of the many familiar sayings in all of Scripture, I think, is found in a passage that our brother Gavin uh, looked at last week in the nine o'clock session from the book of Acts chapter 20. And he didn't so much deal with this particular text there in that passage, but I think in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, I think all of us in this audience this morning, maybe even some who are very young in age and maybe even people that are out in the world that don't know a whole lot about the Bible, don't know a whole lot about God, would be familiar with this particular saying of Jesus where in Acts 20 and verse 35, the apostle Paul quoted Jesus as saying that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Although as you look through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is not a single writer of those Gospels that record these words of Jesus as he was here upon earth. None of those writers record Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But the Apostle Paul states in that text that our Lord spoke these words as he walked here in this world. But I would suggest to you as you think about those very important, those very well-known words of Jesus Christ, that they were more than just words that he spoke as he walked here upon this earth. I believe as we think about his life and who he was, that they are words that he lived. He lived that saying that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Though our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had little, little to no earthly goods, as we think about his life here upon earth, and especially as we think about what the gospel writers record for us of the last three or so years of his earthly life, he was a man that gave and gave and gave until ultimately, as we've already thought about this morning, he gave himself, he laid down his life in the passage 
that our brother Richard read a few moments ago from 1 John chapter 3. He laid down his life. He gave himself up on the cross for you and for me. And throughout his earthly life, as he was continually giving of himself, as he was giving of his time, as he was giving of his power, as he was giving uh, of just himself in every way that he could, he was expecting nothing in return. And even as he gave his life on the cross, he was not doing that thinking perhaps that all of us would return that kind of love to him. And I believe as we look at his great example of one who gave and gave and gave, that there certainly is something for us to learn in that. That Jesus was setting the example, not just for the 12, not just for the disciples at large during that time, but he was providing the example for all of us. He was calling us, if we have accepted that call to follow him, he was calling us to follow him in giving. This morning, as we continue our yearly theme this year of being more like Jesus, we want to look at today at how we can be more like Jesus in this particular regard. How can we be more like Jesus in giving? And to help us do that, we're going to focus on just two New Testament texts that address a specific kind of giving, our financial giving. I think that really is the context in which Paul is quoting Jesus there in Acts chapter 20. It's more blessed to give than to receive, as Gavin pointed out to us last week in his lesson about giving counsel or advice from Paul to the elders there at Ephesus, that he was calling upon them to follow his example, but really he was calling upon them to follow the example of Christ. And it's in that context of our financial giving of them as elders, as they see people who are in need, people who are weak financially, people who are poor or struggling, that they would help those people. Then he says, this is something for all of us to do, that it is more blessed for us, all of us who are followers of Christ to give rather than looking for something to receive. So as we look at these texts this morning, I want us to focus on some attitudes that Jesus had as he gave himself in his life and also in his death and learn what attitudes we must have as we give what God has given us to supply the needs of other people that are around us. So thinking this morning again about being more like Jesus in our giving. The first passage I want us to go to this morning is found in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible with you to open there to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and let's begin our reading at verse 32 and read down through verse 37. Acts 4 verse 32 beginning. Luke says to us here that the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. As, the, as Luke is describing for us here the early church in the city of Jerusalem as the gospel was preached a couple of chapters earlier, and we remember that there were thousands of people not only in Acts chapter 2, but also in Acts chapter 3 that heard uh, Peter and John preaching the, the same gospel message there in the uh, temple. 
And then Acts chapter 4, just, there are at least 5,000 men that comprise the church in Jerusalem. That these people of Jews, they were from all, all parts of the world. Luke is pointing out to us when we get to the end of chapter 4 that this congregation of believers, they were united. And this could only be possible through Jesus Christ. Naturally, they, they probably wouldn't have ever known each other, wouldn't have bumped into each other in other parts of their life, but because of their commonality in Christ, they were united. They were united in heart and in soul. Their union with one another, again, was the result of their union individually with Christ. It was a result of all of them trying to have the same mind of Christ, that they were all working together for a common purpose. And as the apostles preached Jesus to them, as we just read here at verse 33, notice it says, Luke says that they were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that their focus was on Jesus. I'm sure as Luke says, they were giving testimony or witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that they weren't reminding them or talking to them about the death of Christ or about the burial of Christ or about even the ascension of Christ. But their focus, their message was upon Jesus Christ. And as they preached and reminded them about the power that is there in the resurrection of Christ for them, that God's grace was filling their hearts to the point that those, Luke said, in this congregation who had earthly possessions, they were selling some of those possessions. They were giving that money to supply the needs of their fellow saints in Jesus Christ. As they were doing that, I want us again to pull out some Christ-like attitudes that these brethren were showing. How were they being like Christ in their giving? The first attitude, obviously, that they show here is love. And surely, again, as the apostles are, are reminding them as they're giving eyewitness testimony to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, again, as verse 33 points out to us, surely these new disciples were recalling what Jesus had done for them upon the cross. Surely they were remembering Jesus's love for them. They, they were remembering, as Paul would write later in the book of Philippians in chapter two, to have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, a mind of humility, a mind of love. And they were remembering that Jesus and going to the cross for them was really putting their interest. He was putting their spiritual well-being ahead of his own interest. And therefore, these brethren were compelled, it seems, to put their brethren's need ahead of their own. I want you to notice something that Luke says to us here uh, at verse 32. Uh, notice that he said they not only spoke love for their brethren in need, but they showed love for their brethren in need. Verse 32, Luke says that no one claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. They, they, no one was saying that anything that they had really belonged to them. They knew it belonged to God. And they were just managers or stewards of those blessings for a short time. Not only did they just speak love for their brethren, but they showed love to their brethren. In verse 34, it says... For there was not a needy person among them. Why is that, Luke? Because all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. There were some brethren in need, but it got to a point where there was not a needy person among them because they were all showing the love that God had showed for them in His Son, Jesus Christ. They were voluntarily and willingly, and yes, I think even joyfully, selling their property and giving the money from the sale of that property to provide for the needs of their brethren. As we said just a moment ago, 
These Jews had come from all different parts of the world. I'm sure there were many of them that did not have a house to live in, didn't have a place to lay their head, maybe didn't have enough food. They weren't planning on staying in Jerusalem for this length of time. And they showed love to one another. They were like their Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, in their giving to one another. But the second attitude I want us to see here in this text is the attitude of generosity. Surely, again, these brethren not just knew of the love of Jesus Christ upon the cross and willingly giving himself, but surely they were thinking about the fact that God had generously given them not only every physical blessing that they had, and they were sharing those blessings with others, but God had also given them every spiritual blessing that they needed in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. They were probably also thinking again about the death of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross, that he not only gave himself lovingly for them, but he gave himself generously. He didn't hold anything back. And so they were again moved by that, I believe, to generously share their physical blessings with their brethren in need. As we live throughout our lives, if we live with our eyes open, and sometimes we don't, and I'm speaking of myself here too, sometimes I, I'm just too, my, my eyes are too focused upon my own, my own life and upon my own needs and my own situation. But if we live with our eyes open, we have opportunities around us all the time to help people in need, whether they are Christians or not. And as we have those opportunities to help people in need, I'm encouraging us to think about this example. Yes, Jesus is not physically giving financially here in Acts 4. I understand that. But you see the disciples of Jesus, they are following, I think, the example of Jesus and how he gave in his life and his death. So let us follow this example too. Let us be more like Jesus in this regard because we find that in life and in death, he gave of himself lovingly. It was out of the abundance of his love for us. And he gave himself generously. He did not hold anything back. It was not grudgingly that he gave himself upon the cross. And so we're trying to be more like Jesus this year. I would encourage all of us to look at his example, to look, look at the example of his early followers and to follow in their footsteps. I thought Brother Sonny in his talk about the collection was uh, looking at my notes this morning because the second passage that we want to look at is a great passage on giving. And there are lots of characteristics that we can pull out, lots of attitudes that we can pull out of this particular text. We're not going to take the time this morning to look at all of those, but just to notice a few of those. But if you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's begin our reading at verse 1 and read down through verse 15. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in the love uh, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. 
I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of, of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that you, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, by way, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Here as the Apostle Paul addresses this church in Corinth, it was in the region we know of Achaia. But now he begins chapter 8 by writing about brethren in other places, mainly in the region of Macedonia. And in those congregations, which at a minimum would include congregations in Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica, if you go back to the book of Acts, where Paul traveled and established congregations there. But Paul begins by addressing the, these brethren in Achaia by talking about the example of those brethren in Macedonia. And he says that they had already given to financially support uh, needy saints in the city of Jerusalem. And as he calls upon their example, Paul, I believe, is informing this church here at Corinth, you need to follow their example. But I would submit to you, just like we talked about the example of the early Christians in Acts chapter 4 a moment ago, that these Macedonian brethren were really following the example of Jesus Christ. And they were following his example in giving to brethren that were in need. They were making good on their previous pledge to give financial relief to poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul is urging here in these verses that we just read in chapter 8 that the church in, in Corinth, they had that desire. They were ready. They just haven't followed through with it yet. And he is urging them, encouraging them, motivating them to follow through with that good work. So as we look at this text again, we want to ask what Christ-like attitudes did the Macedonian saints show in their giving? And what Christ-like attitudes did the church at Corinth need to have as well? Well, as you notice through this reading, hopefully the word grace is mentioned quite a few times. The churches in Macedonia were recipients of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's where Paul begins at verse 1. He says, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. These saints again knew that they had been recipients of God's grace. Through Jesus Christ, as Jesus had died upon the cross, as Jesus had willingly, lovingly, graciously, generously given himself upon the cross, they were recipients of God's grace. But it wasn't just the saints in the Macedonian churches that were recipients of God's grace in Christ. Also, the saints that he is addressing here in Corinth were recipients of God's grace. At verse 9, notice that he brings into this discussion, which might seem like kind of a, an, an earthly discussion, a maybe kind of a uh, just a mundane discussion about money. That he brings in here, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, calling their minds again back to the example of Christ, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's not talking here so much about physical financial riches. He's talking here about them being rich spiritually. And therefore, Paul correctly described this aid that was going from churches to needy Christians in Jerusalem as a gracious work. Verse 6, he says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. And again, at the end of verse 7, he says, You need to see that you abound, that you are overflowing, that you are excelling in this gracious work as well. He was urging again the church at Corinth to get involved and urging them to get involved on the basis of God's grace. They had been recipients of God's grace. Jesus Christ had shown grace to them and laying down his life for them and saving them from their sins and bringing them into a relationship with God. And they needed to remember that and they needed that grace of God to propel them to show grace to one another on this occasion, and they did. The second characteristic that is like Christ and his giving himself is that of joy. Notice here that the Apostle Paul says that though the brethren in the churches of Macedonia, they were greatly afflicted, they were deeply impoverished, that those saints were overjoyed. It wasn't like Paul was having to go to them and it was like pulling teeth. (laughs) He was trying to just do everything that he could to get them to to release what little money that they had, what little financial resources they had to help their brethren in need. No, here are these brethren who were overjoyed to give financially to help their other needy brethren. And in doing so, surely they were recalling the joy that Jesus himself had. The Hebrews writer talks about this in the early verses, verses 1, 2, and 3 from Hebrews chapter 12 about for the joy that was set before him about Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, And he has sat down at the right hand of God. I don't believe it was the joy of suffering that Jesus, that the writer is talking about there, but he was joyful in giving himself on the cross because he knew he was pleasing his father. He was accomplishing his father's will. And he knew that all of us would need his sacrifice. For without it, we cannot be reconciled to God. The third Christ-like attitude we see here in this text that I want us to focus on for just a moment is that of sacrifice. Notice again, the Macedonian brethren, they don't have a whole lot. They have been afflicted as they have uh, learned the gospel of Christ and are living that. But here are the Macedonian brethren begging Paul with much urging, he says, to participate in this gracious work. That's exactly what he says in verse 4. Again, Paul doesn't have to twist their arm in this matter. There is a need among their brethren. They realize that God has blessed them richly, not only physically, but also spiritually. Though they were afflicted and impoverished again, here were people in the churches of Macedonia who were freely giving according to and beyond their ability. They had this sacrificial attitude. Certainly, again, I think they were recalling the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were remembering that Jesus gave all of himself that Jesus completely sacrificed himself for each one of them. And then fourthly and finally, the last characteristic that is like Jesus in our giving, we see here that attitude of selflessness. Here are the Christians in Macedonia, and Paul says about them, and for a long time this has been, in my mind, the most impressive verse in this whole text is verse 5, 
where Paul says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here again are these afflicted, impoverished Christians in the region of Macedonia, and they had already given themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had given themselves to his servants, namely Paul and Timothy, as they are addressing this letter to the church at Corinth. And having done that, I think their financial gift to their brethren in need in other parts of the world was just kind of a natural response. They didn't have to think a whole lot about it, I don't think. Because they had first given themselves, they had first sacrificed their life and selflessly given themselves in service to their great God because God had given of Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. And surely they were thinking about Christ and His death upon the cross that as he laid down his life willingly and joyfully and voluntarily, that he was showing selflessness in that. Again, I think we all have opportunities to give to people in need around us. My opportunities may not be the same as yours and vice versa. But in all of those opportunities that the Lord presents to us, let us be more like him. Let us be more like Jesus. Let us be people who are giving, not just financially, but giving in every way of every blessing that God has given to us. Let us be people who are giving graciously and joyfully and sacrificially and certainly selflessly. Because even though we have talked about being like, more like Jesus in our financial giving, I hope that you can see that these Christ-like attitudes and many more that we could pull from Scripture this morning, they not only apply to our financial giving, but more than that, they apply to every other way in which we give ourselves to God, in which we give ourselves to His people, in which we give ourselves to the world at large. What about you this morning as you examine your own heart, as you think about your own life? Are you striving to be more like Jesus in every way as our theme is pushing us hopefully in that direction this year? But this morning, are you striving to be like Jesus in your giving? Maybe you are think you're kind of in the same situation that those Macedonian brethren were in. Maybe you are being afflicted. Maybe you are being oppressed, persecuted in some way for living as a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have a lot of this world's goods, financially, materially speaking, but what is your attitude when an opportunity is presented? That's what I'm trying to get all of us to see. All of us, whether we are followers of Christ or not, need to realize that Jesus Christ gave everything that he could give for you and for me. He gave his life. He gave himself truly on the cross for each one of us. Have you given yourself to Jesus this morning? Have you truly surrendered yourself, mind, body, and soul to Jesus Christ to be a true follower of His, to follow Him wherever He might lead you, and ultimately to lead you to eternal life? What about you this morning? As you think about those questions, I hope you'll consider them as we're about to sing this song of invitation and encouragement. And if you need to respond to the gracious invitation of Jesus Christ to come and be washed in His blood, to be washed from every sin, to be made clean and holy in His sight, we would encourage you to do that very thing this morning. Won't you come to the front as we stand and as we sing?